Well, tomorrow is anybody know? Huh? It's Monday. Yes, it is Monday and it is the day that we celebrate MLK Day, Martin Luther King Day. You got to remember that here in Atlanta, right? There was some talk with all this snow and the cancellations of schools that they weren't going to they weren't going to take off MLK Day. That's not a good idea in Atlanta. You can't can't do that. There'd be there'd be consequences and repercussions. Of course, we are taking the day off tomorrow to celebrate the life of Dr. Martin Luther King. And the holiday really has become more than just Dr. Martin Luther King Day. It's become more than just even the civil rights movement. Have you noticed that? It's become really the day that we think back to not just Martin Luther King and all that he accomplished in his life uh, and not just to the civil rights movement and all that that accomplished at his leadership. But it's really become the day that we really think back to all that is uh, equality and, and slavery and racism. We really kind of have wrapped everything up into that day. And I've been, for whatever reason, I've been uh, drawn to recently in the last few months uh, more and more uh, articles, more and more documentaries about civil rights and also about slavery. Uh, I've been reading a a good bit lately, um, for me at least, uh, on this Underground Railroad. You know what this is? The Underground Railroad was, in the 1800s, it was the route that slaves would take to escape to free states in the north or to Canada. And there were people along that route that would aid them in them getting away from their slave situation. Now, you can imagine that this uh, was not an easy road. Let me let me describe it to you because we call it the Underground Railroad. It wasn't like the channel or anything. Okay, there's not like a railroad under the ground somewhere. It's just a way to to describe the, the path that they had to take. It was a secret path. And there really wasn't just even one path. There were many paths. It was whatever path somebody reported back to you was the safe way to go. You go to this house because these people won't turn you in. And then you go to this house and you sleep down under their house because they've made a little room there that nobody knows about. And then you make your way at night, mind you, and usually in the winter, because that's when uh, the people who would chase them didn't want to come out and chase them. Usually in the cover of dark and usually in the winter, you would make your way, sometimes hiding in the woods for weeks on end with very little because they had no belongings. They had no money very often and they had no food it was just whatever they could find on their way do you understand the picture here of the underground railroad now what's what's very impressive to me uh, even more so than those who would escape via the underground railroad uh, is just the idea of those who would aid them those who would be stations of the underground railroad along the way in either slave states or even then in the free states Because people would chase them even into the free states, and there was a law that allowed people who would chase them into the free states to bring them back. And even if you were in a free state, you couldn't stop them from taking them back to their rightful owner. Uh, What is is altogether impressive to me, in addition to the path they had to take and the struggles they had to endure to get out, were the people, the men and women, who helped them along the way. Specifically, the men and women who didn't just help them with a place to stay in the free states. And particularly not just the men and women who in the slave states would give them a hiding place. But particularly the men and women who we hear went back in from the free states into the slave states to help sneak more people out. That uh, strikes me as a good summary of Paul's life. And really, uh, it's a good summary 
in a sense, of the heart of Second Timothy. There are men and women in Christianity who have given their life to help those who have not yet been freed find the path to freedom. No matter what the cost, at great risk to their own life, their own safety, their own families, they've gone back in to the slave states to help people in bondage find their way to freedom. You you following me here? Are you thinking of Paul? Are you thinking of Timothy? Are you thinking of Jesus? Are you thinking of Christianity? It's a pretty parallel path, isn't it? In 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy because he needs more men who will go back in. He needs more men and more women and more children who will say, at my own risk, I will go in to rescue those in bondage. Who won't just sit back and say, I'm free in Christ. Praise the Lord. Let's party. No, they'll say, until all are set free, I can't enjoy my freedom. I'll go back. And now I risk my life, uh, maybe my financial stability. I I risk my reputation, maybe my family. But they do it anyway. That's what Paul's calling for right here. And he's even calling his beloved son, Timothy, his adopted son, not just his son in the faith, but we get the idea that Paul loves this young man like his own. He calls him, though, into suffering. Suffering. Last week we looked at verse 8 of chapter 1. Let me read it to you again. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Last week, here was our goal. Our goal was simply to understand that there is necessarily attached to our calling in that God has said, go into the world and make disciples of all men. And that's charged to us, not just to us pastors, but to us all of us disciples. We have a responsibility to go and make more disciples. It is necessarily attached to that calling we saw last week, not just from this verse, but from other verses along in Scripture, that it comes with the proclamation of the gospel that we will suffer for that proclamation. As we align with Jesus, we will suffer like Jesus. Maybe not just like Jesus, but he promises that we will share in his sufferings. And Paul now comes along and he says to Timothy, you've got to share in my sufferings. It's interesting in verse 8. That uh, four or five words there, join with me in suffering, it's really, I think, one word in the Greek. It's a word that connotates, you've got to be a part of this. You've got to take your share in this endeavor. Specifically, you've you've got to take up your part of the suffering that has been passed down to us from a Jesus who is willing to suffer himself. So last week, we made an effort just to say and agree that that is part of, of the deal. We don't get a Christianity that says we get to do whatever we want and everything is going to be all fun and games. It's all going to be rosy. No, we have to understand that if they hated Christ, they're going to hate us. And maybe that shows up in different ways. Are we willing, however, are we willing, however, to take the hit, 
for the sake of the gospel. Now, remember last week we talked about the fact that it does not say suffer with me for whatever reason you decide to be uh, a jerk in this world. No, there's plenty of scripture to qualify this passage that says we're talking about here suffering because you're standing with Christ and his gospel and you're standing clearly for the light of the gospel, not because you're doing something in your life. And now because you've done this, now you suffer and you're going to say that you're suffering for Christ. But really, you've brought that upon yourself. No, we're talking specifically here about suffering because of a proclamation you've made of the gospel an allegiance an alignment you've made with Jesus Christ himself. It, um, if we're going to be fair, you know, if we're going to correlate this to my illustration of the Underground Railroad, you, know, it, it, you really have to think about, they lived slavery. They knew what it was, many of them who went back in, they knew what it was to be a slave. And as they escaped, oftentimes they left family and dear friends behind, mothers, fathers, children sometimes, spouses, brothers, sisters, left behind. So it was altogether real for them, even on the free side of things, that this captivity still existed. Um, it occurred to me that maybe we don't quite equate to that illustration in this sense. On this side of freedom, for many of us, the bondage over here that used to be our life without Christ, it doesn't really seem all that real, does it? Maybe hell and heaven and eternity really are more of a fairy tale in our hearts and minds if we're honest, if we're critical even of our own hearts and minds. Maybe they're more like a fairy tale to us than they are a reality. For those slaves who escaped and went back in, it was a reality to them. They were still living it and they still had loved ones there. But in the spiritual world of Christianity, as we've been freed, I wonder sometimes if the problem that doesn't motivate us to go back in is this. That maybe we aren't absolutely convinced. Maybe hell, maybe heaven and eternity isn't, isn't that much of a reality. Can I tell you that that was not true of Paul? In fact, it was the opposite of Paul. Paul believed. Paul knew. And that, in and of itself, motivated him to endure the sufferings he endured. Last week, we looked at the fact that sufferings will come. When you stand for Christ, when you align yourself with him, it just makes sense that a, that a world in darkness, as we shine the light in their eyes, it, they're going to draw back. They're going to rebel against that. They're going to then rebel against us. They're not going to automatically be given to receive that until the grace of God comes in and removes the scales from their eyes, brings grace into their heart and allows them to see in that light. Then it's going to be it's going to be a struggle. So it makes sense that we're going to face adversity in this world when we share the gospel, when we stand for Christ. This week, I want to give you Paul's purpose behind the pain. How is it that you could go through everything that Paul's gone through? You remember the first couple of messages we gave you in second Timothy? He's in a dungeon, literally. This is the end of his life. This is the end of the road for him. And he's going to write to his beloved son. Come this way, son, come this way. In our humanity, we want to say, are you crazy? Why would you call 
a beloved son to the same thing. There better be, here's the answer, there better be a good reason. Right? There better be a worthy reason to give your life, Paul, to such hell on earth. And there better be a good reason for you to call your beloved son and therefore the rest of us. We, like Timothy, are third generation Christians. Jesus to Paul, Paul to Timothy. Here we are. There better be a good reason you would call us to share, to take our portion in the suffering. Just as Paul has taken his portion of the sufferings of Jesus. Let me show you what he says. Look at verse 9. In the end of verse 8, he has called Timothy and he has called us to share in his suffering. Not just suffering for any reason, but specifically, he says at the end of verse 8, join with me in suffering for the gospel. Now, here's how you do it. It is a gospel, end of verse 8, according to the power of God. And he endures the suffering via the gospel according to the power of God. How did Paul endure? Short answer, according to the power of God. It was because of the gospel. It was a good enough reason. It was a big enough reason. It is important enough, the gospel in a nutshell. He knows it's important enough to suffer for. Now that gospel, he's going to say, is in a word, the power of God. But maybe that doesn't make clear sense. So he unpacks it. Verse 9, this gospel, which is according to the power of God, here it is. It is, it is that which has saved us and called us with a holy Calling, join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. And this God, he has called us and saved us with a holy calling. That word holy, you know what it means. It typically means we're separated. It's for special use. He has called us. He has saved us for what? A holy calling, a special separate calling. Now, this calling, he qualifies it here. It's not based on us. He doesn't look at you and me and say, I'm going to call that guy because he's pretty. I'm going to call that guy because he's really smart. I'm going to call that guy because he's really talented. It doesn't work that way. See what he says? He calls us and he saves us with a holy calling, a a separate calling, a special calling, not according to our works, not according, meaning anything we've done, not based on what he sees in us, but instead, according to his own what purpose. He's got a purpose. He's got a special, unique, separating calling on you and I. It's according to his own purpose and his grace, which was granted to us. That's a word that that means gifted. He handed it to us. It's a grant. This salvation, this calling, it wasn't because of us. It was because of his, his own purposes. He's up to something here. And his grace, his grace was handed to us. It was gifted to us. You know, when you have kids, you realize that uh, young children in their immaturity don't understand grace. They don't understand a gift, right? We buy them things. We give them toys. We give them food. We give them snacks all the time, seemingly. And they take it as if they were entitled to it, as if they've earned it, like in a monetary way. And you want to say to them as a parent, look, I buy the milk in this place. 
So when they snatch the snack out of your hand and you're thinking, you don't even get it, do you? This isn't something you're just automatically entitled to. I want to give it to you. But you, you just find yourself sometimes as a parent wanting to say to your kids, listen, do you understand how this works here? Like we go to work and then we buy the milk and then you drink it and then we have to buy you more milk. And then you don't say, please, I need more milk. And so we make you say, please, because it's, it makes sense here. And you try and explain the economy of milk to kids and they just look at you like, so can I have some more milk or not? As immature children, we don't really understand this, this gifting, do we? Sometimes I think God may look at us and in our, in our childhood, immature Christianity sometimes. Maybe we seem to think that he's given us what we've been entitled to. That's not what Paul understands. What Paul understands is that our salvation, it's not according to our works. It's not something we've earned. It's not something we're entitled to. It's something that we, we have to understand in the economy of justice. God has gifted to us. He has purchased with his money and handed to us for us to enjoy and say, just say thank you. Thank you. It's a gospel according to the power of God. This God, Timothy, understand, he saved us. He has done it. He's called us. With a holy calling, a special, unique calling, not according to our works, don't be confused, but according to our, but according to his own purpose and his own grace, which was, by the way, granted to us in a person who the Messiah, the Christ Jesus. If you want to sum that gift up in a person, If you want to sum the grace up, if you want to sum the purpose of God up, if you want to sum up the holy calling that we are saved by, that is the power of God, you do it in in the person of Jesus Christ. It was granted to us in Jesus Christ. Now check out this phrase. This This is interesting. From all of eternity. It's as if Paul would have us to understand this is not just something God tripped up on and figured out along the way. This salvation thing, this gospel thing that Paul's willing to give his entire life to and suffer for if necessary, it's big to the degree that it was a plan of God to meet his own purposes so that he could extend his own grace in the person of Jesus Christ so that he could give us a holy calling and save us and so that we could look even further back and call it the power of God. Why? Because he has done it. And he's not just done it on a whim. It's always been his plan from all of eternity. Jesus was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Now, here's what he wants us to understand, I think, in part. This is a big deal. This gospel, Timothy, that I'm calling you to follow me down this path of suffering to, it is worthy of suffering for because, because let's talk about our God. Let's talk about the power of our God. Let's un, unpack the gospel. Let's understand that it wasn't just, wasn't just God's response to Satan. It's always been God's plan. It's worth suffering for. Look at verse 10. It's been God's plan from eternity. Now look how he carried it out in real time. 
but now has been what has been his purpose, his grace, the special holy calling, the salvation that has been granted to us, gifted to us. Here's how it plays out. But now has been revealed. We see it. In what? By the appearing of our Savior. It's back to the person of Jesus once again. It was a plan from eternity past in a person. It's revealed now in a person, in time and space, in the person, the God-man of Jesus Christ. Here's what he did. He just so happened to abolish death. He just so happened to bring life and immortality to light. Now, Paul says, we can see it. It's been hidden in eternity past. Now, in Jesus Christ, as he steps on the scene, the gospel comes to its pinnacle. And now he's brought it to light. It's clear to Paul. It should be clear to Timothy. It should be clear to us. Jesus abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He gives a little parenthesis here. I think he can't help himself. He goes back to his calling. He says, this is, this is why I was appointed a preacher. This is why I was appointed as an apostle and as a teacher. By the way, don't, don't use that verse to write you out of this challenge by the Apostle Paul. That verse doesn't unplug us. If you don't see yourself as an apostle, as a preacher, or as a teacher, understand you are a disciple who is given the honor and the responsibility to go back in and free more from the bondage that they are in. To take that light that is the gospel into the dark world. Help them to see exactly what Jesus made possible. That death has been abolished. That life has come. Immortality. It's come to light through the gospel. Look at verse 12. For this reason. What reason? What reason? Everything he's told you about God. Everything he's told you about God's giant plan for the gospel. Everything he's told you about his eternity from past revealed in time and space. Everything that he's just unpacked about the gospel. Now he's going to tell you why he can suffer. For this reason, I also suffer. Why also? I think it's because he's just been talking about Jesus who suffered himself. <laughs> he said, for this very reason, for this big deal, for this worthy cause, I also, I'm not just a verse 11, a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, but I'm willing to suffer. It's worth it. If you understand what he's unpacked in 9 and 10, you understand for this reason now I will suffer as well. And you understand that he's not crazy. But it makes sense. It's not a fairy tale. It's reality to Paul. For this reason I also suffer these things, all the things that Paul suffered. But I'm not ashamed. Brings it full circle to his challenge to Timothy and his challenge to us. Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus or of me, his prisoner. Verse 8, bookend now here in verse 12. For this reason, I also suffer these things. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Here's why. Because I know. I know whom I have believed in. And I am convinced. Some of your translations may say persuaded. I believe it. I buy it. 
It's not a fairy tale. It's reality. I'm convinced that he, this person of Jesus Christ, this God man, this power of God back in verse eight, that he he's able to do something here. Now watch what he says. He's able to guard what I have entrusted. That word entrusted, it connotates a deposit. It's like a financial term. It's something Paul has deposited in God's account for safekeeping. He says, now I trust because I know him and all that he's done, that what I've entrusted to him, what I've put on deposit with him, namely his soul. And you could add to that his entire life. What I've put on deposit, he'll guard it. He'll guard it. That word guard is used in military terms, often in Greek. It's like a century. It's a it's a it's a officer on post, an armed guard. He'll guard that which I've put on deposit with him. How long? To what extent? Until that day. Until that day, we sang about being face to face with him one day. In Paul's mind, the entirety of his life could be laid on the altar, as he would say in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I present my body as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. It's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? I go on living, walking, but it's a sacrifice. So as I go on living, uh, God consider my life on the altar. But I'm going to go on living. So a living sacrifice we understand to be, as I walk my life, it's really you walking through me. It's you you having my life lived out. I sacrifice my will, my desires, my four-year plan, my 10-year plan, my retirement plan for what your eternal plan might be. Whatever your special calling is on me, whatever that holy calling from all eternity past is, I give it up. I'm a living sacrifice to you. Paul understood that. He had given his life as a living sacrifice so that it would be holy and acceptable unto God. He considered it, he goes on to say, his reasonable his reasonable act of worship. Meaning that it, it makes sense given Romans 1 through 11 who God already is. You see, in chapters 1 through 11 in Romans, he tells you all that God has done. Who we are in our fallen state, how far we have gone, how low we are. He tells you how high God is and then he tells you how that was reconciled and he gets to chapter 12, verse 1 and he says... It just makes sense then for me to let you be in control. Because it's not just some fairy tale, it's a reality. How can Paul do everything that he's done? How could he call a beloved son to the suffering he has endured? It's because he knows who he has believed in. He knows. He gets it. He gets the big picture. He sees the importance. He, he understands that this life is it's just a shadow of what's to come. It's a blink in comparison to all of eternity. So back to where I started. Why is it so difficult for us to grasp in a way that would motivate us Heaven, hell, this thing called eternity. 
Why is it so hard? Well, there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of things in this life that would cause us to focus here and not understand the big picture. Not set our sights on the power of God that is in Christ. Not to think of eternal things. Not to live out then our life based on the eternal reality and not just this temporal reality. But there is the problem then, isn't it? There's the problem. What keeps us from going back into slave states and freeing slaves from bondage? What keeps us from saying to the guy sitting next to us in the office, listen, um, I, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever talked about this kind of stuff before, but, but have you ever thought about what happens when a person dies? Have you ever thought about eternity or heaven or hell? What? What keeps us from doing that? What kept me this past week, confession time, from sitting in McDonald's? Uh, if you ever are looking for me, I don't like to come here because Vic won't turn on the heat. And uh, I have to sit here in the cold, and it's quiet, and I don't like it. So I, uh, I, I work at McDonald's. My three-year-old thinks I actually work at McDonald's. Uh, I go to McDonald's, and I do work. And, and I get to see people, and uh, uh, you know, I don't fall asleep there like I might if I'm here. It's not happened. I'm just saying it could. Uh, back to confession. Uh, why is it that as I'm doing my work and I'm, you know, <laughs> sending emails to you guys and encouraging you guys and putting together, you know, flyers and, and, and planning and all this stuff, and, and three young, young men come and they sit across from me, and um, it doesn't naturally... Uh, in a way that would move me to action, occur to me that these guys, these guys could know nothing of what awaits them when they step from this life into eternity. That they will face God. That they will be held to an account for their rebellion. That unless they, they fall underneath the provisions of Jesus, then they're on their own. Uh, it occurs to me when they get up and leave, why didn't, why didn't, like here I am, I'm right here in the real world. Why didn't I, why didn't I go in? Why didn't I, why didn't I talk to these guys? What really is keeping me? I was busy. Um, they may have thought I was some, you know, weird old guy, you know, talking to them about spiritual things. I mean, that could, that would have been it. I don't think they would have crucified me upside down. You know, I don't think they'd have thrown anything at me. Even they may have just laughed at me. The worst, they may have just completely ignored me, rolled their eyes and walked out. Maybe they'd have called me a a good name. I don't know. Why? I have to ask myself, does it have anything to do with this? This fact that maybe maybe it's so hard for us as we live here in this temporal world to grasp that there is an eternity at stake for each one of us. And this time is only but a glimpse how might we get the attitude that, that women like uh, Harriet Tubman, put that picture up. You recognize this lady? Harriet Tubman is a famous portrait of her. I asked Radley before service. I said, Radley, you know who Harriet Tubman is, right? He said, yeah, yeah. She was the one that wouldn't go to the back of the bus, right? <laughs> Tracy, you may want to talk to him about that. I'm just kidding. 
I had to pick on you, Radley. People have been complaining that I pick on Vic too much, so I had to, I had to change it up. Radley didn't really say that. He knows that Harriet Tubman, she was, if there was an underground railroad, so to speak, she called herself the conductor of that railroad. Uh, in the research I did in just a short amount of time, it, it said that she made uh, at least 13 trips back in. <laughs> Some reports give up to 22 trips back in over a 20-year course. She, um, on the low end of the research I did, brought out 70 slaves personally, went back in, escorted them out. Uh, on the high end, 300 personally. Then she got involved with the North uh, during the Civil War, was a spy for them, made root beer for the soldiers just to pay her way. It's kind of cool. And uh, helped free another 800 in different engagements. Yeah, that's impressive. What makes a person do that? Um, a couple reports say that on uh, two different occasions, she ran into former masters of her own. She wasn't freed until, I think, 25. She suffered while she was a slave. While she was a slave, she uh, suffered, as all slaves, I'm sure, did. But she didn't just suffer for herself. She suffered for other slaves who were weaker than her. Now, she was only five foot tall, Okay. But the story goes that she had a, a, a substantial head injury after uh, one of these guys hit her with a lead weight after she tried to protect another slave. After she escaped, she made all these trips back in. Uh, one report said that she, uh, she put on a bonnet and carried a couple chickens so that people would just think she was on her normal business doing her normal slavely duties. And she passed her, her master and so that her master wouldn't recognize her or wouldn't catch her eye, she pulled on the chicken real hard to make it squawk so the guy was drawn to the chickens. Pretty smart. Another occasion, she was on a train and uh, saw another one of her masters and grabbed a newspaper real quick and pretended she was reading the newspaper because everyone who knew her knew she couldn't read. So surely that couldn't be Harriet. They called Harriet. You know what her nickname was? You know what they called her? Her code name? Her secret name, they called her Moses. wonder why. <laughs> the story goes that uh, on one of her first treks back in, she got a bullhorn and she went in into this area where there were a bunch of uh, slave masters and she said, Rednecks, let my people go. I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. I just made that up. They called her Moses because she went in. She got her people. She escorted them to freedom. She was referred to by those who tried to hunt her down as the ghost. She couldn't be caught. Later on, she said that um, she would have delusions and visions. Some would call them delusions. She called them visions because of her head injury. And she would claim that God would give her routes to get these men and women and children out. Uh, one uh, famous uh, historian said that uh, she was the, the one person who believed they heard from God in a real way more than anyone else they knew. It, it was real to her. She went back in and got her brothers. She went back in and got her mother and her father and her brother's kids. You think it was real to her? It was real. 
Now, how do we get there, church? How do we get there? I think, I think we get there by Paul's unpacking. I think we, I think our best hope to get there is for us to take on the um, challenge, the responsibility, and the joy of understanding the gospel completely, clearly, truly, understanding the weight of the thing, understanding the bigness of the thing, that this wasn't just a fairy tale that may or may not have played out in history a couple thousand years ago. No, this, this was a plan by an eternal God in eternity past, revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, who suffered himself, who called us to share in his sufferings, and all those who would follow him, extend that invitation, if you will. Suffer well with me. Take up your part of this responsibility. And for Paul, it was a great joy, he would call it in other places. Why? Because it was, it was true. It was true. He would go to the extent to say, if it were up to me, I'd rather go ahead and be in eternity. For me to live is Christ. That's it. The only reason I'm here is to do his will, so to speak. My preference would be to go ahead and be with him in person. But I'm here. I'm here to carry it out. He's got all of me. The challenge for us, church. We've been talking about this one challenge for 2011. That at the end of 2011, we look around this room as a new church, as a young church. Next year, if we look around this room, that we might catch the eye of someone that we have some responsibility for being here. Not in a prideful, egotistical way, but by God's grace, he could use us to go back in and pluck someone out of darkness, someone out of bondage. And at the end of the year, there might be at least one sitting here connected to a body, a family of Christ, more importantly, connected to him. I mean, that sounds manageable, right? That sounds manageable. But I think Paul, in his letter here to Timothy, I think God has been right on time directing us here into 2 Timothy. I think he has some wisdom for us if we'll only be honest and do now the hard work, the homework as we go home and we sit alone maybe at some point this week and we say, God, what keeps me? What keeps me from going back in? What am I worried about? What am I afraid of? Whatever those things are that he reveals, ask him then to help you deal with them. I mean, we've got them. I've got them. Let's find what they are. Let's own them. Let's hand them back to God and say, God, I don't want that to hold me back. I don't want that to hold me back. It's a, it's a worthy cause. Let's pray. Father God, there are those who are perishing in our world and um, you've given us you've given us the pleasure of being involved in redeeming for your son the church the body of Christ the bride of Jesus he gave his life so that that marriage supper could happen so that that so that that union could, could happen. Lord, we ask that you would, uh, Lord, you'd help us. 
You'd help us to be honest with ourselves. You'd not let us leave here and think, you know what? Um, this religion thing is, it's, uh, it's all, it's, it's great for what maybe it benefits me, but if it's going to cost me anything, then I'm not up for it. Father, clarify in our hearts what Christianity really is. Maybe we don't quite understand yet. Maybe it's never been clearly explained. Maybe we've never understood that we have a share in the suffering for the gospel. That while we're here to live our life in complete joy, we know that as we charge the darkness with the light that is in us, we will not be automatically received. And so we ask that you would go before us. Go before us. For those who are in our circles who need the light, Lord, I pray that when it is shown in their life, that it wouldn't, it wouldn't blind them. It wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt their eyes. But it would be a glorious light. That the light they see in our lives that is Jesus in us would be glorious to them. That they would be drawn to it. Because the truth is, Lord, they're perishing without it. Lord, help make it a reality for us. Call us. Call us clearly to take up our part, our share of the suffering. And uh, the funny thing is, Lord, as we do, we're going to find even greater joy. Lord, I personally don't feel any more complete in this life than when I've than when I've shared the gospel, when I've told someone of eternity. Lord, make that true of us. Make that true of us. Help us, Lord. We 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 admit this morning that we have some things holding us back, and uh, we ask that you would make that make that no more that we would be used by you that this church would be used by you collectively as a light in this community that we would do grand things for eternity in Jesus name Amen Amen. Ricky's going to sing one more song for us you can sing along if you like or you could just uh, you could just sit in prayer why don't you go ahead and stand with us as we uh as we use this last song to contemplate Second Timothy. If, um, if this God who, is, um, <laughs> who has called us, who has saved us from eternity past, this God who, is, who has planned it all out, who has mapped this whole gospel program out, if he is a new, a new God for you this morning. Maybe, maybe the God you had in mind was a whole completely different God. Maybe it wasn't the God of Scripture. But if the God of Scripture is calling you this morning, in whatever way, the altar is open, give it to Him here. Communion is set, commune with Him there. Deal with Him over His brokenness, over His shed blood. I'll be up here. If you just need someone to pray with, we'll pray with you. If you have never, if you've never asked God to bridge that gap for you, then you need to do that. You need to do that. You're perishing in your sins until you're under the provision 
of Christ. It's not a game. It's not a religious thing. It's not a fairy tale. It's a reality. And if you slip out of this life today, it'll be all too true. It'll be all too real. Take care of it today. Let's sing.